0: All right, kids, come on up front. Even if you're visiting, you can come up front, about fifth grade or so and under. Come on up and join us. Plenty of room for everybody. Bring somebody along with you if you'd like. All right, come on up, find somewhere to sit. All right, good to see everyone this morning. Now, to start, I have some items to show you, and I want you to see if you can tell me what they're for, okay? So if I have a pencil, what's a pencil for? Writing. Yeah, writing or drawing, good. What's a fork for? Eating. Eating, yeah, eating, good. You guys have this down. How about a hammer? What's a hammer for? Pounding? Yeah, pounding nails, right? Good. Uh, how about uh? everybody know what this is? A watering can. A watering can. A watering can. What do you do with this? What's water this for? Plans. Yeah, you water plants. Good. So those things have a purpose. How about this? How about the Bible? It tells what is the Bible God. for? Yeah, it, it tells us about God. It tells us what God's about. Yeah. Yeah, God's words. Yeah, it tells us about God. You guys are right. You got it down. So today we want to think a little bit more about what the Bible is for. Um, what God gave it to us for, what is its purpose. I want to point out two things for us to think about uh, this morning, two purposes of the Bible. First, it teaches us what is true about God. You guys got that one. And second, it teaches us how to live, right, how to live. So first, um, it teaches us what is true. It teaches us what is true about God, what is true about the world around us, Teaches us what is true about even ourselves. Teaches us what is true about good and evil. So it teaches us lots of truth. So all the truth that the Bible teaches us, we call doctrine. Can you guys say the word doctrine? Doctrine. 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 Good. So doctrine is the true teaching of the Bible. That's doctrine. Okay? So, second thing is that the Bible teaches us how to live. Right, what our actions should be, what our words should be like, even what our attitudes should be. It teaches us how to live in certain specific situations. It teaches us how to live in certain relationships. So it teaches us how to live. So the Bible teaches us how to live our lives in ways that will bring God glory that he is due. All right? So the Bible helps us with these two things. First, it teaches us doctrine. The truth te- true teachings of the Bible, doctrine, and second, godly living. How to live our lives for God's glory. So we'll be learning some more of these things over the next few weeks as we go through the book of Colossians, so you can be listening for those two things. Uh, today, as I preach, and then in the coming weeks. All right? Thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. All right. If you would grab a Bible and turn to the book of Colossians, please book of Colossians, New Testament, halfway through. So for the next few weeks here, we're going to be preaching through the book of Colossians. Uh, Today I have the task of just giving an introduction to the book. And then uh, the next four weeks, we'll take a chapter at a time, uh, preaching through uh, the book of Colossians. So today is going to be just an introduction, an overview. We're going to look at some of the basics, who, what, why, where, when, those kind of things. We'll look at some of the purposes, why was this letter written. We'll look at some of the themes that are presented in uh, the book of Colossians and then uh, kind of go through outline. We'll outline the whole book so we have an idea of what it's about and where we're going to be going with that. So let's pray, and then we'll start in. Father God, we praise you. Thank you again for your word that you have given to us. And so now as we start to look at the book of Colossians together, we ask that you would teach us, mold us, that your spirit would work among us to, to change us and conform us more in the image of Christ. And so, Father, you are worthy of worship, and we surrender ourselves to you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start with some of the, the basics uh, to the book. Um, so if you look in Colossians, you'll see in the first couple verses there that this is written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's writing it to the church at Colossae. All right, so that's the who and the, uh, who's writing and who's sending it to, Apostle Paul to the church, the believers at Colossae. Uh, We see here that Timothy is also with Paul uh, as he shares, probably Timothy is maybe sharing in the writing of this letter. It's very possible that Paul was dictating to Timothy and Timothy was the one uh, writing things down. Um, Of course, with all of God's word, we need to consider that although Paul and Timothy wrote this down, that we believe every bit of God's word is inspired by God, right? So the book of Colossians in our Bible, uh, we believe is inspired by God, and so therefore it is all good, it is all true, and it's all profitable for us. So as we look at the book of Colossians, we need to see it in that light. Uh, Paul during this time was imprisoned in Rome. As we read about in the end of Acts, you read about his imprisonment in, in Rome, his first imprisonment. And so this is written somewhere in 60 to 62 A.D., Uh, so about uh, a little less than 30 years after Jesus died on the cross. So this is the time he is writing it. Um, Some other things we'll see here. We'll learn uh, about a man named Epaphras. Uh, Epaphras, uh, you'll see in uh, verse 7. Epaphras had previously preached uh, the gospel in Colossae. And now he had come to, uh, from Colossae, from the city of Colossae, to Rome, to Paul. And he gives a report to Paul about the church in Colossae. And so uh, that has been what Epaphras has done. Uh, from some other books in the Bible, we know that, Paul, uh, that Epaphras is, is imprisoned with Paul during this time. So he is now a fellow prisoner with Paul but he had come from the city of Colossae, from the church there, and gave a report to Paul about the church and all that was taking place there. Uh, we also know that this book was written about the same time as the, the books of Ephesians and Philemon. Uh, if you read through Colossians and you read through Ephesians, there's much, uh, much of the content is very similar. Uh, they were about 100 miles apart, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, the cities of Ephesus and Colossae so there's many similarities there in that, the book of Ephesians. There's also a close connection with the letter to Philemon. And we preached through that a few weeks ago. Uh, you'll see as you read through that many of the same people are mentioned. Many of the fellow workers and the people that Paul is greeting and those things, uh, many of the same people are, are being mentioned there. If you flip over to chapter 4, uh, in verse 7 we see this man named Tychicus. So Tychicus is probably carrying this letter to the church in Colossae. He's probably carrying multiple letters as he travels back from Rome back uh, to the city of Colossae. Uh, He's probably carrying this letter of Colossians. He's probably carrying Ephesians, which is in our Bible. Uh, In verse 16, there seems to be a letter to the city, uh, the church at Laodicea. He's probably carrying that letter. And he's probably carrying the letter to Philemon as well. And so Paul says here in verse 8, I've sent him, Tychicus, to you. And then in verse 9, and with him, with Tychicus, is Onesimus. Now, that should intrigue you, <laughs> Onesimus, as we think back to our uh, letter of Philemon that we, uh, Pastor Jeremy preached through a little bit ago. Do you remember who Onesimus was? A slave, right? Onesimus was Philemon's slave. He had run away from Philemon. Uh, he, as he was away, he had come to faith in Christ, and he was being now sent back to Philemon. right? And so right now, with this, as Tychicus is carrying these letters, Onesimus is most likely w- along with him. They're traveling together as they carry these letters, and Onesimus is now on his way back to the city of Colossae to Philemon, his slave owner. And you can think back to the book of Philemon in that regard. Uh, Some of the characteristics of the the church. Um, So Epaphras had come to Paul and gave a report of the church. And so what are some of the things that Epaphras had reported to Paul? We see some of those here back in chapter 1. In verse 4, we see that they have faith in Christ Jesus. We see that they have love for all the saints We see in verse 6 that the gospel is bearing fruit among them. People are coming to faith in Christ, and they're being discipled. They're growing and maturing in faith. And so these things are all true about the church here in Colossae. And so overall, they are a solid, gospel-centered church, and they're full of faith and love. So those are some of the, the, the basics of the book here. Now, as we look at the purpose, why is Paul writing this? Why is he sending this? After he hears this report, why is he sending this? Uh, The first thing is to correct heresy. To correct heresy. So Epaphras had not only reported the faith and love of the church to Paul, but he also reported the presence of some false teaching, some heresies coming in. These heresies have been creeping into the church, uh, sneaking in. And so uh, Paul here is going to correct some of these heresies that Epaphras has reported. And so these heresies aren't listed out one, two, three, and addressed one at a time specifically. They aren't refuted one by one, as we'll see here. But based on what Paul is writing to this church, we can get a good idea of what these heresies were that were arising in the church of Colossae. And so what were some of these things? What were these false teachers or false teachings Uh, First, there were some unbiblical philosophies and empty deceits. So some people were looking for deeper knowledge. They were looking for a special, mysterious revelation of some kind. And so if you're familiar with Gnosticism, this is kind of the the beginnings of Gnosticism, looking for something unique, something ultra-spiritual, something not Uh, openly revealed, some mystery. And so these things were arising, the the debates and the philosophies, and it's all empty. Uh, Second heresy, uh, there was an emphasis on following certain rituals, certain rituals that must be followed in order to be spiritual. Many of these were based on the Jewish law, but there were these rituals that were uh, needing to be followed. That was a heresy that had risen. And then third, there was worship of uh, some mysterious supernatural powers beyond God. And so angels, other spiritual beings, these unknown powers, the teaching was saying they had to be worshipped and they had to be appeased uh, in order to be um, right with God, in order to be spiritual. So these are some of the heresies that were arising. And overarching that, some, one of the biggest results of these errors is that Jesus Christ was reduced to a menial position a menial position so he was not given the position of uh, the exalted position that he deserved and that she, he should have had he was being devalued because other things were rising up and becoming more important in these teachings and so Jesus' deity his god nature was beginning to be questioned Right? Maybe Jesus isn't really God. Or maybe he's just God, but he's a lesser deity than some other things. And of course, if Jesus' deity, if his God nature was in question, then the salvation he offered would also be in question. Right? Maybe Christ isn't enough. Maybe he's not a sufficient savior. So there's these mixtures of religions and philosophies and thinkings and far-off mysteries that were coming into the church. And these things are all getting combined and mixed with the true gospel and the truth about who Jesus is. And so in all all this mixture, the question arises, well, maybe I need more than just Jesus, right? Maybe I, I, I need some Jesus, but there's also more than I need beyond him, right? Jesus isn't quite enough. These are the questions that would be arising here in, this, this, in these false teachings. You know, we can be prone to think that way too, can't we? I, I need Jesus. I, I need to go to church. I need to do the spiritual thing. But I need much more than that, to be satisfied in life, to be happy. I need to work in order to have a right relationship with God. All right? And so sometimes we can be prone to that as well. So Paul's purpose, one of them in writing, was to correct heresy. Uh, Second was to provide good doctrine. There it is, to provide good doctrine. Again, doctrine is simply the true teachings of God's Word. That's what doctrine is. And so mainly the doctrine that we're going to see here throughout the book of Colossians is in regard to Christ, about who Jesus is and about what he has accomplished. We'll also see doctrine about believers. What is true about someone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ? And so Paul is going to provide some good doctrine here. And thirdly, Paul's writing to encourage believers and to lead them into spiritual maturity. To encourage believers and to lead them into spiritual maturity. This church here at Colossae, they needed some encouragement. They needed to be built up. They needed to be assured of their faith and what they have believed. This heresy was a threat to their well-being, a threat to the church, a threat to God's people. It would cause them to question their faith and the truth that they had believed. And so Paul here helps build them up in truth. He gives them good doctrine. He preaches the gospel to them in this letter. He assures them of what Christ has accomplished on their behalf. And he renews their hope gives them hope again. Now imagine with me if you were part of this church in Colossae. You've heard the gospel preached from Epaphras. You've received the gospel in faith. But now all kinds of other teaching is coming into play, is rising up, causing you to to question and causing you to, to doubt whether this is all true. Wouldn't it be really encouraging to get a letter from the Apostle Paul, reaffirming the truth of what you have heard and what you've believed? Now, some of you might be in a similar position here this morning. This might be where you're at right now. So maybe Colossians for you is coming at a a good time to to hear again the the truths of Uh, of the gospel, the truths about who Christ is and what he has accomplished and to be built up. And so as we preach through Colossians these next few weeks here, may you be encouraged in faith. May you be strengthened in the truth. May you grow in spiritual maturity as well. So those are some of the purposes we see from Paul uh, next, we want to look at some of the themes. What are some of the big picture ideas that we see throughout the book of Colossians here? The first is Jesus Christ. We've talked about that. Right? Jesus Christ is going to be a theme throughout the book here. So as we go throughout the book of Colossians, pay attention to Jesus because it's all about him. Right? Pay attention to Jesus because it's all about him. Colossians will tell us about Christ's deity and his supremacy in all things. It will proclaim the greatness of Jesus and his sufficiency to save sinners. So if you want to learn more about who Jesus is, if you're wondering, what do I believe about Jesus? I've heard so much about him. What do I really believe? Colossians is a great place to go. It's full of truth about Jesus. This is where we get the most, maybe the most complete picture concisely of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. So pay attention to Jesus. It's all about him. The next theme we'll see here we've talked about is doctrine. Doctrine. Uh, We've already said this is one of Paul's purposes, and so it's a theme then throughout the, the book. Colossians is loaded with good and true doctrine. Now, some of you might be concerned about doctrine. Don't let that word scare you off. Sometimes we think that doctrine is just for those really smart people teaching in seminaries far off, in far-off places. Uh, that's not true. Doctrine is for all of us. We all need good doctrine. If you don't have correct doctrine, you're going to be in spiritual trouble. Right? Again, doctrine is the true teachings of God's Word. If you don't have good doctrine, you're going to be in spiritual trouble. Our faith is founded on good doctrine doctrine. And so as Paul is writing this letter, if, as you read through it, it, his excitement for truth just breaks forth, right? So if you read from start to finish through the book of Colossians, you'll catch these little times where Paul just kind of lets these doctrinal truths just come forward, almost where he, it feels like he can't hold back. We could say he has like doctrinal outbursts as he writes this letter. He just lets it go. He can't hold back these wonderful doctrinal truths about Christ and who he is and what he's accomplished that come pouring out. And so with that in mind, you should be excited about the book of Colossians. You should be excited about these next four weeks that we get to hear this truth, that we get to receive this good doctrine, that we get to look at how it applies to our lives. This should be a good and exciting thing. So as we go through Colossians, take some time that's needed to learn and to love true Doctrine so themes: Jesus Christ, doctrine, and third theme is then Godly living. And so we'll get some good instruction in Colossians on how to live our lives to God's glory. So as we think about those things, specifically as we think about doctrine, biblical truth, and Godly living, we must understand that these two things are connected, all right? Sometimes we have a temptation to separate our belief in Christ and kind of have that over here, and then our behavior is over here kind of separate. All right? But we have to see these things not as being separate, but as being connected. They're woven together. They go hand in hand. Okay? The truth we believe about Christ will be what drives us to live for Christ. Right? The truth we believe about Christ will be what drives us to live for Christ. If we don't believe he's sufficient in our salvation, that's going to change how we live, how we approach him. If we don't believe he's actually God, that's going to change how we live our lives. If we don't believe he is Lord over all, why would we obey him? So the truth that we believe about Christ will be what drives us to live for Christ. If you don't have solid doctrine, you won't live a life that honors God good doctrine leads to godly living. All right. So to say it another way, if you are struggling to kill your sin, to end it, and to live for Christ, it's very likely that you're not believing true doctrine. It's likely that you're believing things that are false about Christ and who he is and what he's accomplished for you. We can't have approach the Bible as just a to-do list. We will fall short. Can't do that. We can't take that approach. Yes, there is some good instruction for us. We're going to see that in Colossians, but we must view it as coming forth as a result of good doctrine, as a result of understanding who God is. And then our behavior, our godly living, follows, and these instructions become meaningful to us. So as we go through Colossians, we'll see both doctrine and godly living throughout the book. Chapters 1 and 2 are mainly doctrine, although there's some godly living mixed in there. Chapters 3 and 4 are mainly godly living, although there's some doctrine mixed in there. And so they're mixed together throughout. So we'll pay attention to doctrine and godly living. So that's kind of the introduction. So last thing we want to do here is we'll kind of just go through the whole book and outline it. So I'm not going to read through the whole thing. We're just going to, I just want to give you an outline so that you kind of understand the whole, the entirety of the book of Colossians and see how it, how it fits together. Sometimes in our Bible reading or even in our Bible study, we'll take a couple little verses and we'll just look at that. So you might get a couple of verses here in Colossians. And then maybe some other time later, you'll get a couple of verses in Colossians over here. One of the things that's important for us as we study God's Word is to see it as a whole. The whole from Genesis to Revelation, as well as the whole of a specific book like Colossians. So we're going to go through it and get the whole picture of Colossians and see what we're going to be learning and and preaching here these next few weeks. So the first things. First thing we see here in the first couple of verses, one and two, is just the greeting. All right, we talked about that a little bit already. Paul, along with Timothy, uh, to the church at the city of Colossae. So, this is Paul's greeting in the first couple of verses. Uh, the next, verses three through 14 here of chapter one, we see Paul's prayer for the saints. So, he is praying for them. He lets them know that he is praying for them. We see that is, he's full of thankfulness for them and their faith, and he prays that they would know God's truth, which is doctrine, right? He prays that they would know God's truth, that they would know doctrine, and they would live godly lives, godly living. So even in Paul's prayer here, we see these two things, doctrine and godly living. These are things he's praying for them with thankfulness. Next, in uh, verses uh, 15 to 20, we see truth about Jesus Christ. Paul gives truth about Jesus Christ. So here's some of the doctrine that he is presenting. He's giving them, which is, as we talked about, refuting some of the heresy that was in the church at this time. So there's an emphasis here on Jesus' divine nature. He is the image of God. He is the fullness of God. So there's an emphasis on his divine nature. And there's an emphasis emphasis on his divine work his work in creation, and his work in salvation. And so truth about Jesus. Continue on, verses 21 to 23, we read truth about believers. We read truth about believers, who we are. We see here that Paul says there is this change of position due to the gospel. We were hostile, hostile and evil, and now we are holy and blameless. And so we see the truth about believers. Continuing on, uh, chapter 1, verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 5, we see Paul's labor for the church. Paul's labor for the church. We see what his ministry is about. Uh, Verse 25 here, the end of verse 25, we read that his labor is to make the word of God fully known. That's what Paul is laboring to do, to make the word of God fully known. In other words, Paul's ministry is teaching God's truth Paul's ministry is preaching doctrine. Right, that's what his ministry is about. He's preaching doctrine. This is what he's laboring and struggling and toiling for. This is all his energy is going into this purpose to teach good doctrine to the church. And so, then following up on that, starting in verse six of chapter two, uh, we see keep pure doctrine. We are to keep pure doctrine. And so verse 8, we see that they are not to be uh, taken captive by this, these philosophies, by these deceits that were arising in the in this, the church in Colossae, but they are to believe the gospel. And so in verses 9 through 15 then, uh, Paul again puts forth doctrine. Gospel truths are pouring forth here as he talks about what Christ has accomplished uh, for sinners. And then we do see a little bit here of some more direct uh, addressing of some of the heresy. He doesn't call it out in that way, but we see in what he writes that there are some direct heresies he's addressing here. Verse 16, he addresses the, the laws and the traditions and the regulations that were arising and being put in place. Verse 18, he addresses the worship of spiritual beings and then verse 20 and following, he addresses the ungodly regulations of the body. So part of, what was, part of the idea that was arising is that the body and everything in, naturally in the body is evil, evil, evil. So deny it, destroy it. Okay? And so he's addressing some of these ungodly regulations of the body. And we'll see that in the coming weeks. Then starting in uh, chapter 3, throughout chapter 3, we see instructions for godly living. Here's some more specific instructions for godly living. Now, it's important for us to see that all this godly living is in response to the gospel. The way we live our lives should be in response to who Jesus is and what he has done. It's in response to the gospel. And so in verse 5, we see that they are to put to death what is earthly. And then in verses 12 and following, they are to put on what is godly, put to death what is ungodly and earthly. Put on what is godly. In verse 15, he writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So godly living is all about Jesus. It's living in response to the gospel, and it's all about Jesus. It's about knowing him and following him, being obedient to him. And then in verses 18 and following, we get some specific application to the closest of relationships that we'll be in. Husband and wife, parent, child, master, slave. And so there's some specific application there. But again, godly living is all in response to the gospel. Who Jesus is, what he has done for us. Then as we get into chapter 4, the first part there, verses 2 through 6, he's addressing how we relate to unbelievers. Um, Relating to unbelievers, pretty simple. There's going to be prayer, and there's wisdom needed. And then the end of the book here, Paul's uh, talking about his fellow workers in the gospel. He's addressing specific people, what they're doing, who to greet, names people by name, and addresses people specifically. It's his intimate knowledge of who these people are. And so that's it. That's the book of Colossians. Uh, That's what it's all about. That's what we'll be preaching through the next uh, few weeks here, one chapter at a time. And so it should be an exciting four weeks for us as we learn about good and true doctrine and how to live godly lives that honor God. So let's pray as we close up here. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for your word that you have given to us We thank you that we have good doctrine written down, that we can read and study, that we can know what is true and what is right. Father, as we go through the book of Colossians in these coming weeks, I ask that you would help us to be further grounded in what is true, that we would uh, know what is true, that we would grow in our knowledge of that and grow in our application of it and applying it to our lives, that we would live godly lives more and more. So God, we ask your blessing upon uh, these next few weeks here as we study the book. Pray that you would be glorified in our lives through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.